Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of Slogging It. God knows what week we're in. Uh, it feels like we've been doing it for about three years. It's in reality been maybe four and a half months. Um, but uh, yeah, we're still living life. We're still enjoying it. Um, I hope you guys are too. Tonight, we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by a man of many talents, an absolute fitness fanatic, no doubt at some point in the future, England's S&C coach. Uh, and ex-professional cricketer of many a county, it is Adam Rouse. How are you, mate? I'm well, thanks, mate. How are you? All right, all right. Um, it took me ages to write that. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. Like, where am I? You know, brilliant. So, yeah, as long as you're happy with it, all good. <laughs> um, so, as we do every week with the different guests we have on, we always start right at the start. So, um, first thing, like, where did cricket start for you? Earliest memories? I mean... Talk us through scoring 100 in adult cricket at the age of 12. I mean, what a way to announce yourself, right? Yeah, it is. Actually, if, we, if we're going to go to the beginning, it's got to be a bit before that, really. Um, so I was, I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, I grew up in Zimbabwe. And um, I was very fortunate to, grow, to um, go to a school that was um, run by Donald Campbell uh, and his family. Um, obviously, the, the England uh, Zimbabwean captain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so cricket was was quite a big part of the school. Um, sport was compulsory in general, so I played all sorts of sport. Um, and I had two older brothers, so uh, I was constantly trying to get in in the action and was never allowed. So, <laughs> you know, I would be fielding for about three hours until I got a chance to bat. Um, uh, and that's kind of where it started for me. I was sort of um, always wanting to kind of. Um, perform and, and um, sort of prove myself to them as well. But as I sort of played with them a lot, I ended up sort of getting a little bit better. And so we moved to the country in 2003 um, and I started playing some some men's cricket um, just because I'd been playing hardball cricket for a few years anyway in, in Zimbabwe. Um, so I was like, nah, I can't. Not playing with the, the tennis ball and all this sort of stuff. Um, so, so played some um, some men's league cricket, and um, yeah, I was I was very lucky actually. I mean, I scored scored a hundred at twelve. Um, didn't really probably realise at the time what it meant, but um, I got featured in in the Wisden Cricketer as the youngest player um, to score a hundred, and um, I got I got sponsored. My first ever sponsor came no from. No way! Um, That's amazing. I got I'm a twelve thirteen year old kid, and I got. Um, do you remember Smasher Sports? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. fully kitted out because the, the one of the Smasher Sports reps was the keeper for the opposition. Um, okay. So, so that that was pretty cool. Um, and then, sort of from there, played um, Hampshire Age Group um, through the ranks with Hampshire Age Group. Played a couple of years up. Um, ended up sort of playing some academy uh, cricket as we went on because. Went from sort of club cricket and, I, and Hampshire Academy played within the within the men's league as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was quite a nice experience of playing sort of that kind of level of cricket. And then I think I made my second team debut at about fifteen. Um, so it's been yeah, it's been a long old uh, time sort of within the game in, in that in that sort of level of cricket. Zimbabwe is. I, I've got a couple of good friends from um, Harare, and and you know they talk about. I don't think, as, Eng as as an Englishman myself, I don't think I've ever seen the positivity until you actually meet people from Zimbabwe. Like all we've ever really seen is negative press. Um, yeah. But apparently, incredibly beautiful country, 
Mm-hmm. Keep being told we've got to go to Vic Falls. Yeah, it's supposed to be absolutely stunning out there. Like, what was life like growing up there? Very much an outdoor childhood, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an incredible place. Um, it's one of those places where, like, when you're there, you just sort of fall in love with it, and then it can't get taken away from you. And I think probably yeah. that's why you meet a lot of Zimbabweans that, um, throughout all of the negativity and um, the the negative rep that, that Zim has and what they've gone through. They just still absolutely love the place and, and, you know, can't really praise it enough. And my family were obviously born there as well. And they, you know, built a farm and we lived on a farm. So, you know, I'd be running around and um, helping my dad with some tobacco and roses. And that's the kind of lifestyle we had. We were just always outdoors, um, always playing some sort of game. Um, And it's just, it's a a beautiful place and obviously such a shame. that everything happened in the way it did but um mm-hmm. obviously you know there's there's always pros and cons with everything and, and it led us to to the uk and and where we are now and obviously led to my career as well so there's there's things to be grateful for when you say about i mean you know i i i don't know this and you know i haven't been able to see anything on the research that we've done but mm. did was your move to the uk based on anything that was going on at the time or have any of your family had felt the kind of negative effects of what was going on politically at that point? Yeah, um, absolutely. It was, it was directly associated to that. Um, wow. neighboring, neighboring farmers, um, were sort of getting shot, um, were getting arrested. It was, it was quite hectic. Um, and you know, from my parents' point of view, we were fairly sheltered as kids. Um, we were at boarding school, so we kind of never really saw a huge amount going on. Um, so we didn't really know the extent of everything until we came to the UK and and grew up and and sort yeah, of yeah. told us. But yeah, I mean, crazy stuff. Like you know, my parents sort of got threatened to get off the farm and um, got given sort of thirty days to get off, or or wow. um, bad things would happen. And and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and those bad things did happen to people, right? I that's mean, it. So, so my parents sort of um, around the time when they when they kind of got that that sort of threat, um, it was happening around them. Um, right. People were calling their bluff, and it wasn't a bluff. Yeah, um, yeah. And it just was too much of a risk, you know. We had my four kids. Um, yeah. It just wasn't worth it, and it, and obviously an incredibly hard decision for them to 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 make um, to sort of leave their whole life. Uh, and pack their whole life into a couple of trunks and and cross the border pretty quickly as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, excuse my ignorance. Like, is this something that um, are these are these people that all of a sudden you know your parents would have known and had dealings with all of a sudden then because there's the complete flip in terms of political power? Are they then people that turned on your parents that they would have previously known, or these are guys that just come? from nowhere just to then start yeah not at all this was um this is as far as i'm i've been made aware of the whole situation is that um when when the political unrest was happening and and um mugabe was going through this the the process of reclaiming a lot of the farms and and giving them back to um what their view was the rightful owners and the rightful owners Mm. of the land um and uh throughout that time um the his right hand men and his um his people close to him were just were given these farms um so we right. would 
it wasn't not the people on the farm because ultimately there was their livelihood and, and their yeah, job of course, and, yeah. and work and, and their life has you know for generations been on that farm and working that farm and mm. um yeah it was more of a case of and someone else was coming onto the farm and taking over the farm and and sort of saying no oh, this is my land now get off um wow so those were kind of uh, yeah the reality of how it all kind of happened and transpired so then it sounds like you came to the UK via South Africa. Can you just talk us through kind of that process? Yes, yeah, so we had, uh, I've got some family in South Africa. Um, so my mum's sister lives in, in Cape Town in Somerset West. and um, My favourite ever place in the world. It's I incredible, love it. isn't it? It's the oh, favourite place. If I, honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how I can go to Table View and buy an 18-bed house on the beach like it, 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 it has to happen at some point it didn't happen at Cheltenham today I had an accumulator <laughs> that should have brought me in three quarters of a million quid it was pretty long odds but it didn't happen so <laughs> you must have been close though <laughs> <laughs> I think I won like 59 quid off it in the end nice right well save your side mate every penny counts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so yeah we 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 had family then we used to sort of every other christmas go over to south africa and and sort of um alternate the christmases so it was around that kind of time so we just left we packed up our stuff and had christmas and that was i think a nice time for uh us kids to just not know what was going on almost and yeah. sort of be sheltered from the whole thing but for my parents to kind of breathe and go right what the fuck are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, so we had some friends in the UK uh, that, are, that are left here, and we spent. Uh, we came to the UK in about March two thousand and three, and we spent about six months sort of travelling up and down the country. Uh, I was nearly a northerner. Went to see a couple of schools in Manchester. Thank, right. thank God yeah, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, so they didn't let me in. They didn't let us in. Right. <laughs> got these, um, yeah, these kids that haven't been in school for about six months because they've been travelling around, and um, you know, so they they were like, no, we can't take you halfway through a school year. And um, we managed to find some friends down in in Hampshire that that put us up for a bit of time, um, and could get us into a school qu- quite quickly. So we got we got into school. Um, didn't have a house or anything. We were just staying with our friends. Wow. Um, and then sort of my parents kind of just worked their way um, back from that and and sort of found us a place and um, yeah got us settled in. And sport was obviously a big part of our lives. So that was a kind of the first bit of sort of building our roots is like right okay where's the nearest sports club and Basingstoke Creek Club was there and we went there and you know started playing a bit of cricket and you've got these three three kids that um played decent cricket that just turned up and and started you know playing men's cricket so it was, wow. it was quite um quite a welcome in that and then yeah a lot lots gone from on that on from that yeah um <laughs> well that obviously you, the move led to you signing your pro contract at hampshire at 18 yeah um how how was that was that obviously yeah it was amazing I actually the other day um, I found a, an article uh, one of my friends sent it to me and it was it was my family arriving in the UK and we were going through our citizenship um, and we got interviewed by just like the Basingstoke Gazette the local Gazette and it was it was actually my brother um, saying that the two of us wanted to play for England and now that we're now British citizens we're so glad that you know the the uh, our reality can now come true uh, or our dreams wow. can come true and um i just found it quite quite interesting because obviously although i didn't play for england um you know i, I represented my uh, country well my adopted country at under 19 level and yeah. um, 
made a made a career as a as a professional cricketer. So that is quite a nice story for me and um, something that I'm quite quite proud of, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been massively proud. I'm thinking <laughs> in five what five years you've gone from you went from getting booted off a farm to <laughs> a professional contract and representing your, your new country. I think it's a, a special feat. Um, unfortunately, four years after you got signed, you, um, you were released. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you sort of deal with that process and, and what, how did that happen and come about? Yeah, of course. Um, so it, was, it, it was quite a tough thing to deal with. Um, yeah. I think from... From about that sort of age of fifteen, once I started playing second team cricket and an academy, and it, my sort of identity was really based around Adam the cricketer, you know, or Rousey the cricketer. Yeah. That was that was kind of me, and um, and I, you know, I, I I fell into that a little bit. And um, when obviously the, my time at Hampshire, you know, um, was a great opportunity to develop them a game, and unfortunately we had incredible keepers ahead of me. We had um, Nick Poffis, who is um, a Hampshire legend, and we had Michael ba- Michael Bates, who, you know, at the time, and in my opinion, was one of the best wicket keepers in the country. You know, mm. so um, I was never really, really forging a career at Hampshire at that time. Um, but it was a good opportunity for me to learn. And yeah, I was, I was gutted when, when I sort of got released. Um, that last year that I got released, I, I didn't keep because Bates was in the twos as well. Um, but I scored uh, 1,300 runs and average 70 in the twos. Um, wow. Uh, was the most hundreds. And I thought, uh, um, you know, all the coaches kind of um, were sort of insinuating that I'll be getting a contract. So my hopes were pretty high and then walked into the um, walked into the board boardroom and they said, sorry, mate, we um, we can't give you a contract. We can't keep three keepers on staff. I'm like, I, haven't, I haven't kept all year, pal. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a poor you know, because um, that kind of that was a bit of a kick in the teeth. Um, anyway, so I, at that time, I kind of just said to myself, right, I still want to be a professional cricketer. I've put too much in, you know, and I was like, right, I'm going to give myself two years to be a pro, um, and then at least I know that I've given it a good crack and I can I can move on. Um, that winter, I qualified as a personal trainer straight away um yeah. because i had one eye on making sure that i, I had a plan b yeah qualified as a, as a pt struggled that winter because um no county is going to take you in pre-season if you're better you're just you're taking up someone else's time um yeah. if you're a bowler you can be cannon fodder and and just bowl uh into yeah. your arm they, did, off. They, they didn't sign you they just said oh we'll have a look at you and you just and then they just look after look at you for the whole winter and, and yeah yeah exactly so yeah <laughs> I, I find that difficult um and so i didn't really hit any cricket balls in the winter and then God, i remember <laughs> i remember my first game back i got a trial for Glo- uh, glamorgan um at the at the swellick stadium and I turn up and um, having a hit in the indoor net the day before, thinking like, okay, this is my first hit. I better just get cobwebs out. Felt really good. It was fine. It was a three-day game and a one-day game. Uh, I bagged him. I got three ducks. On my oh, track. no. <laughs> Honestly, I went, I went uh, caught down leg side, caught and bowled, oh. and then and an LBW um, hit me like on the thigh. And I was like, oh, stinker. what am I doing? Like, honestly, I couldn't have felt further away from, from being anywhere near being a pro or for them. Yeah. yeah. 
<clears throat> and I remember, <laughs> I remember the the coach because the the first team were coming back in for the next game because uh, they were about to start their their like one day comp or something like that. Mm. So the coach just said, uh, "Listen, Ralsey, like you know, I'll give you a call." And I was like, "Okay, cool, then. cheers." Yeah, <laughs> no. cheers. Yeah. Nothing, um, and that that was a bit of that was like okay, right, what's going to happen? But fortunately, at that time, I then got a call from um, one of the coaches at Surrey, um, and I I ended up going to Surrey and and uh, trialed around at Surrey for about two three months. Um, scored scored a, a hundred on the, my first trial game against um, Gloucester at at Bristol. Um, and and sort of and did fairly well with them. I got into one of their squads for um, a one day game as a still as a trialist. Um, and then they they signed Ben Folks. Um, ah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I mean, you're close. a good look, you're a good looking lad, but he he's he, he's not only a phenomenal wicketkeeper, but yeah, he's, yeah, you know exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I didn't really I didn't really have a chance there. That was kind of like close, and then then something came along. So I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. Um, but then I, I'd done sort of well enough. So I, I then tried with, with Kent as well, scored some more runs against Gloucester at the time. And then just strangely, both their keepers broke their fingers in the, in the space of a week or two. Um, mm. Gareth Roderick and Cameron Herring broke, both broke their fingers. Um, I think just being off the back of scoring runs against them and being fairly fresh, I got a call from Owen Dawkins, the second team coach, saying, we want to sign you for a month or two and, and get you in. Um, it's going to be quite a lot of cricket, and um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. That was that was kind of my first real introduction to first class cricket and first team cricket, and I was sort of thrust into it. Had no time to think about it, and it was amazing. I know uh, you she's going to ask you about uh, Gloucester at the minute. It's funny you say uh, dorks. Um, <laughs> Robert knows him very well. I've, I've, got I've been talking to him all day. I've been doing it this week. Uh, the thing I want to just pick up with you on quickly is. As a keeper, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you're effective. You know, as a bowler, you've probably got four spots in any given side. As a batter, you've arguably got six, maybe seven. Um, you know, as, as a keeper, in, unless you're an absolute gun batter, you're almost seen as the other all-rounder, aren't you? The, you you're almost the second all-rounder of the side. Mm-hmm. And so you're fighting very for very, very few opportunities. Like, yeah. Is that something that you... Um, were made aware of? Did, did anybody as you were growing up say, look, you are kind of, not pigeonholing yourself, but that, you know, you, 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 it's going to be tough? <laughs> um, not particularly, not, not as bluntly as that. Um, and as not as bluntly as I came to kind of <laughs> realise in, in my career <laughs> how difficult it was. But, you know, I, I, I sort of um, grew up with the times changing as well. Um, mm-hmm. So as I was sort of coming into to playing that level of cricket, you know the the likes of Adam Gilchrist and and players like that Donny turning that specialist wicket keeping position into an all rounded position. You know you could no longer get away with just being the best gloveman uh, in a team. And I think um, unfortunately someone like Michael Bates felt that he's probably ten years too late in that he was one of the best glovemen and and probably should have played for for England. Um, back when that is all the keeper was sort of um, judged on, you know, yeah, like a bowler, you know, catch it. If he was the best glove, then he'll be in the team. And, and um, I think it started changing uh, in the mindset of like, actually, we'll, you know, the keeper needs to score a hundred now, batting at six and seven uh, mm. or higher. And and that's where it became became a little bit harder. Um, you 
you sort of I felt like I was more judged on my my batting than my keeping throughout my career, um, which is a difficult thing to do because you spent so long trying to make it as a keeper, and and um, I think that's always quite difficult to process as a keeper. Hmm. I think the the process of trialing is a weird one. Anyway, I can remember, like you say, you walk up in a first innings on trial, and and I mean, you sound like you got a day in the nets before a trial game. I I can remember when I was doing a bit of trialing, and and you rock up. And they go, right, yeah, I was on the MCC Young Cricketers. And so lads may or may not have seen you bowl, but then you rock up the morning of a game and they go, right, yeah, you're in. Um, And you you know that one of the coaches has never seen you, (laughs) hasn't got a clue what you do. Skipper doesn't know what you're doing. Yeah. And um, I I can remember rocking up for a game and going, first ball, right, you're an opening bowler, aren't you? Well, in the Surrey, I was at Surrey, they had Jane Dernbach and Neil Saker. (laughs) <laughs> who were two guys that were getting wickets and they're going, yeah, Robert, you're opening the bowling. And I'm going, hey, have a minute. Like, what? First ball of the game, first ball of the game, I ran in, Luke Wright was opening the bowling for Sussex and he hit me for six over point. <laughs> first, first, ball of the three, first ball of the three-day game. And I just went, to be fair, in the same game, Brian Peterson, Kevin Peterson's brother, introduced himself as Kevin Peterson's brother. Oh, no. It took me two and a half hours to find out his name. That was mildly amusing. <laughs> from my point of view. Kind of I didn't sucked. laugh forever. But, well, I did. I was like, brilliant, but what's your name? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Kevin Peterson's brother. All right. Yeah, I forgot to... Is that... Is that when people... Interview, like, um... Sorry, mate. Can I borrow some of those coattails you seem to be hanging on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I, is, have I got to call you that? Is that your full name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dean Paul yeah. Where, can, where do I stop if I just want to mute you, you to move in the field? Parents didn't love him. They just yeah, um, and then KP's brother. But yeah, sort of on the trial and stuff, it is weird, isn't it? That like you say, first first innings there, you run out, got naught. <clears throat> yeah, that that next innings. Yeah, is oh the pressure must have been internally uh, like you must the, be doing your own editing at that point. Yeah, it was it was difficult, and uh, the worst thing was I, I played a lot of cricket in terms of age group cricket at that time with um, a lot of the Glamorgan guys. Um, mm. So played sort of that uh, West of England um, cricket and played Bunbury with with some of them, and um, also ended up because this was after I've you know played England on 19s, you know, mm. so um, played with a few of them there, and they're in the you sort of in the changing room, and you know they're your mates and they're rooting for you and they want you to do well and um, you you walk off after that third duck in a row and you just sit there and just you can only laugh I, like I, there's yeah. nothing else I could do I was like it's been a pleasure lads but this, <laughs> yeah. this is only going on yeah. no <laughs> yeah. one's signing me after bagging them um, yeah, yeah. two games so I was like okay cool cheers lads enjoy um, and that was you know if I didn't get the, the call straight away to play the next week for Surrey I think it would have been quite a difficult thing for me to continue with because mm. Um, like you said, trialing in itself, you know, you have to, you have to suck a lot up and, and get, mm. get that energy to actually put yourself out there and be like, oh, cool, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to try. And then when you get a no, you're completely deflated and you're like, right, let's go again. And then after getting knocked down so many times when you're trialing, it's like, all right, how much do I have left? And, um, I was, yeah, that's kind of been quite a, uh, a prevalent trend in my uh, my career yeah, yeah. <laughs> so far. It is, it is strange though, isn't it? Because you do say that. I can remember that, that game, that particular game. And I was sat in, it's a home game for Surrey, but they put me up in a hotel. I'm there on my own because mm. all the rest of the guys, and I'm just like, and I've bowled 
probably I probably ended up doing it. I got two for forty or something off twelve overs or forty in thirteen overs. <laughs> and I so you think, oh yeah, okay, what's everyone doing after the game? Well I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home, and I'm sort of going. Oh, All right, okay. I'll just go to the hotel and earn, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you get twenty five pound an hour meal allowance. Well, that's great, but I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have chips and a bottle of tango and cash <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah, hundred percent. I remember when I first started. You get like, well, I got that little brown envelope. It was yeah. Amazing. I was playing. I was playing second team cricket like at, at fifteen, sixteen, still at school, and I'm getting, um, you know, one hundred and sixty quid for a, a four day game. Some of the, <laughs> some of the clubs used to play, pay per day as well. So you were like, okay, cool, I'll have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks very much. Um, it Robert, sounds Robert, when you were talking about, um, you know, uh, Adam having a net the day before his game. Uh, any club worth their salt would never allow you into a net because you wouldn't be worth the electricity bill for the, the <laughs> bowling machine chucking the balls out at you uh, yeah, with, you, with your own battery. Very it's, much just like, it's, just, it's just a chance to get to know some guys and like exactly, yeah. at least feel... Because that's a, you go into a changing room and quite often you might know some of the guys, but you're not part... It's a bit like when you're the person left out of the side and you walk into the changing room. Yeah, 100%. And, and you're like stood there going, I, I, I definitely don't belong in here. Yeah. But you've got to try and find a way of going, right, I've got to try and make myself part of this team. Because for this next three days, I am important to this team. Exactly. And exactly. But that, to do that in your head when you're thinking, I don't know you from Adam. I don't know, I don't know anything about it. The guy that's recommended me isn't even here. Yeah. And I, I can remember, it was Jeff Arnold. Jeff Arnold was at Surrey at the time and he recommended me after seeing me ball for the MCC. He rocked up and he's not there. Just like Alan Butcher and that was it. And I'm sat there going... Yeah. Speak to, yeah, yeah. Right. But it was Eugene. You for the for all of our regular listeners, by the way, Eugene is on the call. <laughs> like basically, Robbo and I have decided to do this interview on our own so far. But Eugene uh, does have questions. I am part of the podcast. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rasi, in your in you know after your contract ended with uh, Hampshire, you had two years of a bit of a of that. Um, of the touring of the different trials that you went through mm -hmm. mentally how did you cope with that because you know it must have been really tough thinking you know is cricket the right thing is cricket not the right thing you know have i made the right decision you know which club is going to pick me up how did you focus on the mental side of that and sort of what pulled you through to to where you got to obviously when you signed for kent um yeah absolutely it was it was it was pretty dark and pretty hard um but i because I'd made that promise to myself, because I was like, right, I'm going to give myself two years um, and I'm sort of not going to waver from that. I'm going to give it all I got. And, and then at the end of the two years, the one thing that I wanted to make sure is I had no regrets at the end of it. Um, that if I uh, worked my nuts off and, and tried as hard as I could and it was, it was still a no at the end of the two years, then cool. Um, and so throughout the whole process, I was trialing around I was like cool that door's closed let's see if there's any more you know I reached out to as many people as I could and um, like I said fortunately the timing was quite quite good in that um, both the keepers broke their fingers and I got this opportunity to play at Gloucester and it just it happened to be like slap bang in the middle of the season where we were playing all formats and it was hectic I, in that space of that month or two I played 16 games for Gloucester wow. Um, wow. like four day games one day games 2020s um, and I played a lot of cricket and it was such a quick learning curve for me but also just I loved it I loved it because I was thrown into the deep end there was I didn't feel like there was a huge amount of pressure on me um, their main keepers were 
we're, we're out you know I, I was I was sort of kind of given the the green light for this period of cricket and and it was um it was great and um I really felt like during that time I I sort of had done enough to to warrant a contract and 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 um, I remember it clearly. Again, we were at Glamorgan just before a, um, a one-day game, and I got called onto the balcony just before um, from the head coach, and and he said, um, "Rousey, we love what you're doing. We we think you're going to be a great value to Gloucester for the future, and we want to offer you a contract." So he said, "Just we got um, our budget's coming out in a couple of days, and let's see what we can offer you." So immediately straight on the phone, mum, dad, <laughs> finally like weight off my shoulder. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got another contract and I can relax and you know to the point where me and the missus had already sort of looked around Bristol for for where would we stay well, we've spoken to some of the lads because of the good news and and then about three or four days later um Gareth Roderick the other keeper had come back now so he he was back from injury um again we we're playing Hampshire at Bristol um uh, which is also a bit weird um so and then I remember I was so I wasn't playing but I was there I was twelfth man and I remember sitting on the sideline and um, Tom Smith the left arm spinner was with me and he said mate go go and speak to the coach like you need to find out you need to know what you're doing because at this point I needed to know I needed to know whether I need to go home and pack all my stuff and take it all yeah, back yeah. to Hampshire or whether I'm coming back after the weekend to be here so like it was a, anyway so I walked into the office and. Um, unfortunately they just sat there and they said God, look, I'm so sorry um, oh, we've had 200 grand budget cuts and we just Jeez. can't justify wow. offering you contracts so that that was a kind of kick in the teeth and I remember leaving that's there. awful to have gone through mm. the, the high of thinking that exactly. I mean, we, funnily enough we interviewed Smudge uh, a couple of weeks ago I've, I've known him a long time and I don't think you'll ever find a more level headed man in He's one of the best blokes just yeah. the world let alone cricket yeah. like you know he, he is so and you consider everything that he's been through, exactly. you know, with, with Laura and everything else. Yeah. And it, the way he spoke to us, the thing that I found really fascinating, having known him, you know, long time, but to to talk about the situations that he's been through that have been incredibly, like, more challenging than I hope anything that, Absolutely. you know, the three of us go through. Yeah. But he talks about everything with such clarity and, you know, just seems to view it almost outside of himself and then tells himself how to think about things and approach and he's yeah. great with his friends in that sense because he offers that exactly he's very logical in the way yeah, he yeah. goes yeah. about things and, and that was what he did you know on the sideline he said well you have a right to know you know you, you need to ask the question and you know go in there and ask and I did and um, <laughs> fortunately the answer wasn't the answer that I'd already sort of been told or, or wanted so mm-hmm. um, I then I then sort of um Spent the rest of the year just playing a bit of club cricket. Um, it was kind of far enough into the the season towards that I wasn't going to get picked up by anyone else. Um, and second team was nearly finished, um, so there was no real trialing opportunity. So I was like, "Cool, knock that one on the head." Um, and then, and then, yeah. So I gave my my, my second year. I felt like I'd um, been around enough. Enough people had known me. All the coaches had known me. I flicked out. Uh, I put a, a video montage together of all my all my stuff from Gloucester and my stats and everything. Flicked it out to all the coaches and, and got donuts. And I was like, wow. cool. right, they either they either gonna sign me now or they're not. You know, I, I've been playing at that time. I'd been playing second team cricket for ten years. Um, well, even wow. longer. I was I was uh, about twenty twenty five, twenty six around that time. Twenty five, yeah. So ten years. So I was like, cool. <laughs> like they're either gonna sign me or they're not. And um, I didn't have that energy really at that time to, to sort of um, 
go and keep trialing and I think it, you get to a point where it's like, cool, I, you know, I don't want to be that bloke. You know, I don't want to be that guy that's that's been trialing or playing second team cricket for the last ten years. And yeah. anyway, so so I was like, cool, I've kind of accepted it, like put my hands up and and said, okay, cool, I'm retiring from professional cricket. You know, that's me, kind of letting go of the dream. And um, I went to went to Cape Town for my last hurrah, and and I was like, cool, I'm just going to go play club cricket in Cape Town. I changed clubs. Um, for that year and I changed to Cape Town Cricket Club um, because I knew uh, the captain and a few of the players from them playing in the Hampshire League and I was like cool I'm not going for any money I don't need anything like I, I can pay my way to get out there um, my missus came with me as well and it was just like cool I'm going to enjoy this because mm. I haven't done you know for a long yeah, time yeah, yeah. I'm going to enjoy this play club cricket um, get on the beach and just you know have it enjoy it for what it is because I knew that after cricket, those opportunities weren't wouldn't come around uh, mm. to me, and um, yeah, strangely, uh, around kind of Christmas time, um, I got a call. And my phone buzzed, and I got a call from um, Jimmy Adams, the the Kent um, coach, West Indian Jimmy Adams, and um, he's like, "All right, man," because <laughs> <laughs> I'd spent a bit of time from, and I, I love Jimmy. He's one of the he. I owe a lot of my um, sort of second half of my career to him, but. You know, he's seen me around. I, I, I spent the sort of my second year pre-season with Kent and I trained with the first team and, and did pretty well and um, nothing transpired from that as well. But anyway, their, their second team keeper, Ryan Davies, got signed at um, Somerset, um, signed a three-year deal at Somerset. And um, with Billings being in around England, he was he was likely to be away. So um, they called me up and they said they wanted to offer me a contract and... Um, it was such a surreal time. Like, honestly, I, I got this phone call and I'm like, okay, actually mind if I kind of think about it? And it, it took me about two weeks to think about this. Honestly, I sat down there with Moose and I was like, I don't know if I, if I want to do this. A, because I'd finally got myself to a point where I'd accepted that I was not, no longer ever going to be a professional cricketer. Yeah. I, 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 I was getting to terms with the fact that my character or that I am not a cricketer or you know that doesn't define me and I and my friends are still here and my family's still here and everyone that I thought would leave the moment I wasn't a professional cricketer um we're still here and I was like okay cool like I'm okay with that and and it took me yeah so it took me about two weeks and eventually I got to the, the uh point and speaking to my sister as well is that you know I'll kick myself if I didn't take this opportunity yeah. you know uh, I've been searching it, searching for it for my whole life. I absolutely loved playing at Gloucester, and the only reason I wasn't pursuing it was because the doors were all closed. Mm. So now that the doors open, yeah, you know, yeah. I've got to continue doing Run it, and yeah. I've, got to, I've, got, I've got to give it a crack. And again, same sort of philosophy and and thought process is that if it's an absolute, if I if I um, crash and burn and never play a, a first team game, then fine. But at least I've I've given it a crack and and. Um, and taking the opportunity and and I'm so glad I did because um I ended up spending the next 5 6 years as a professional cricketer um playing quite a lot of cricket um albeit in and out and up and down for various reasons but I still you know I played a lot of cricket and made some awesome mates and you know something that yeah I'm so glad that I did because um it's it's sort of part of my life and it's given me so many lessons along the way as well 
Yeah. Um, I've got loads of questions that I, I want to pull off the back of that. Um, but so before we do that, we do have to break um, because uh, the next, as always, you will hear a quick note from our partners, the Lord's Taverners. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, as always, to our charity partners, the Lord's Taverners. We will, uh, well, uh, again, you please do keep supporting them. Uh, you can support them on our behalf by texting TABS1127033. That will be for a £3 donation. Please make sure that you are 16 or over and have the bill payers' permission to do so. Uh, right, okay. There's just three things that I really wanted, well, two things from basically what you just said. I want to know how many times you got pissed in Caprice. Because <laughs> uh, uh, if it's not more than once a week, that's disappointing. <laughs> um, Camps Bay Cricket Club looks like yeah. heaven on earth in terms of like yeah. cricket places, cricket grounds to play. Funny at. story about that, actually. I'll, 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 yeah. So that year, that year that I um, decided to go back to to, to Cape Town, um, I genuinely like looked into the idea of just going to go play for Camps Bay, getting them to me up place, Camps right? Bay play a bit of club cricket in, what is it, Div 3 or 4 or something like that, um, and just trying to see if I can hit it on in, onto the beach every day. Into the sea, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, I mean, I, I walked up there with my wife, Lisa. I think we parked on there years back, like four or five years yeah. ago. You can park on the ground park, and then yeah. go and get drunk in Caprice and then come and pick your car up uh, the following day, obviously. Yes, Not that evening. Yeah, we, we did um, that when we went over last year, Johnny, didn't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, no, we got we got a lift to Lalit Modi's house in a vintage Rolls Royce. Mate, that, that, which was the most that, naughty that was a surreal had. day, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the story again. The, um, <laughs> the other thing, that I find, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I meant to pick up on it earlier. When you, when you and, it's, and it's pertinent because when we spoke to Simon in Simon's episode uh, about you know, his struggles kind of going from being a, a professional or aspiring professional creator to, the, to then going back to what is normal life, effectively. Mm-hmm. And you referred to it in exactly the same way, becoming the cricketer, yeah. Adam Rouse or Simon Roberts, to then almost becoming man back in the crowd. You then go from being Adam Rouse the bloke to being the cricketer Adam Rouse to then almost having to revert back to being Adam Rouse the bloke. And the mental challenges around in that, Simon really struggled with. And it sounds, you know, it must be quite a difficult transition. It is. And I think, like, like I said to you, because, because this has been such a big part of my life from such a young age, you know, you know playing um, that level of cricket from sort of 14, 15, where it's, uh, it's the, the ages where you figure yourself out, really. Like from, from that 15 to 25 is really where you kind of 
find your identity and um, you go off to university and you do all these things. But all I did was play cricket around that time. You know, I was hardly kind of at college. Um, I spent a lot of my time playing cricket. I didn't really socialize a huge amount because I'd be playing club cricket on the Saturday or, or I had um, a second team game and uh, missed out on, on several social things. So you, you kind of, that is your focus and, and part of pursuing professional sport with most sportsmen um, and women, you sacrifice a lot and, mm. you know, that becomes your identity. And, and, and I think, you know, as you grow up, when that gets then stripped away and taken away from you, you do go, okay, well, that's no longer part of my life. Um, who am I? What, what do I do? You know, like, what else do I like doing or, or what else defines me, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And I think us as people, we always want to be, you always put yourself into kind of pigeonholes or brackets. It's like, you know, you're the guy that plays golf or cycles or um, plays music and loves his vinyls and records and these mm. different things. And you, you, when I'm not, Oh, he's a he's a professional cricketer. It's like, okay, what you know, what am I? What can I be? And mm. um, that that journey of rediscovering yourself, I guess, is is a challenge for a lot of people. And um, it's I, about believing you still yeah. offer something to your friends and your family, other than being the bloke Absolutely. who plays cricket, isn't it? Like, and so with the nature of my career, I feel so unbelievably fortunate that such an early stage. I was forced into experiencing that, you know, getting released from Hampshire, having to think about my plan B, um, going through the process of, of figuring out that, I, that there's more to life than cricket and that my friends still love me as me and not the cricketer. And mm. I think that really played a massive part in my second career, almost my second half of my career in that I approached it just in a completely different way. I was like, cool, I've got another opportunity here. Um, I've always got one eye now on the on Plan B. I'm an injury away from from never being a professional cricketer again, yeah. and and I know that I'm a I'm a long time retired. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, um, my my cricketing career is just a drop in the ocean, and I, and that really allowed me to kind of just take my opportunities, enjoy when I played, play with like everything that I got, and. Um, you know, give it all I got and just enjoy the process. And that's kind of what I, what I did. And I hope that that's uh, how it came across when I played. I think so far, the final question for me, cause I'm aware that I, it's basically been many, me interviewing you so far. And the other <laughs> two lads haven't really gotten a word in edgeways. Um, second 11, we spoke about this a little bit off air, like, um, you know, talking to a lot of lads who've been through that kind of trialing process or have been pros, but played a lot of second team cricket. Just talk to people who kind of maybe less aware a little bit of what that environment is like when you are effectively, um, you know, probably even tougher as a keeper when you're going for one spot. But, you know, how it is for lads and batters and bowlers playing second team cricket who are effectively all fighting for the same cause. Yeah. But individually are, as trialists, trying to get that contract and so very much yeah. competing against each other at the same time. It's definitely a difficult environment to, to be in and to go into. Um, and I, I sort of, I, I've been on every different um, part of it, you know, trialing on my own, um, turning up to games on my own, not knowing who's playing and hoping that you recognize someone that you played someone, against. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So you can at least catch up and have some um, token chats with just to sort of ease yourself in. <laughs> um, but then I've also been on the, on the um, place where, you know, I've recently been dropped 
for lack of form or something, and I'm coming into second team environment with um, again people I don't know. I might be one of two mm. or three pros, um, and and it's a lot of young trialists, and, and it's a difficult concept to get your head around as a as a older older pro, um, and and you also kind of you have to you have to pick yourself up and not feel sorry for yourself and actually lead from the front and show an example mm. for for the the kids trialing as well because. You can't carry on like like you know anything, and I, I learned a, a a very great lesson when I was really young. Um, I think I saw the two types of pros that there were growing up, and I saw the pro that would come come down from first team cricket and think that they were name them. And I think that like they were they sort of. Um, thought they were bigger than the game and they should have been playing and, and then yeah. I also saw the, the the genuine true professionals that got dropped and were like cool I got dropped only because of me you know uh, and the only way that I can get myself back into the team is weight of runs it's not how much I I mouth off the guy that's just been selected um, instead of me or tell tell the neighbor, my next the guy next to me how bad the coach is and all that sort of stuff it was about backing it up with runs and hundreds and actually going like you can't you can't not pick me this is the reason why you should pick me. And I, um, I always believed that. And that's the way I kind of like went about my business. Whenever I got dropped, I was like, okay, cool. You like, you know, a lot of the time it might've been, I got dropped because Sam came back. No reason because, um, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't performing and I wasn't doing well. It was just the harsh reality of having an England keeper and a club captain in your position. So quite a lot of the time I was like, cool, there's nothing I can do about it. The way I'm going to get back in the team is by, scoring runs and making them not be able to drop me and also just you know not carrying on like a chop um <laughs> i love that, that word <laughs> <laughs> no one needs that in an environment and also it, it just sort of it says a lot about you as a person um that's how i would i always wanted to make sure that you know throughout that whole process of me getting dropped and everything that i was carrying myself in a professional way set an example to the kids and i spent a lot of my time captaining second team cricket um you know because i'd like I said, by the time I was 25, I really played 10 years of second team cricket yeah. um, and kept in a lot of stuff around this. So whenever I came back, I thought, always thought it was my duty to kind of help the kids, help the youngsters, help them get through. And also I took it on myself a little bit as well to try and tell some of these trialists the harsh truth that the coaches weren't going to tell them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been in, I'd been in those positions, right? I'd, I'd been there I, like, <clears throat> I saw it from from a trialist point of view, but also a player's point of view. When you know, like deep down, that they're never going to sign a bowler, like, they're just absolutely not going to sign <clears throat> because in the changing room we're talking about how we've got no money and we're not signing any young young bowlers. There's just no chance. Um, and you've got four bowlers that have been trialing for you for the last four weeks, thinking I've got a shot here. They keep calling me back. Yeah, and it 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 got to it gets to the point that sometimes I'm like. I have to pull them aside and be like, listen, pal, because what they, what a lot of trialists don't do, and, and this is the one thing that um, I try to like get them to do, is that give the, give the clubs an ultimatum. Like, you know, the, the, a lot of youngsters are just so happy for the opportunity of playing second-team cricket with because the carrot's been dangled that they could be a professional cricketer and they could mm. play. But ultimately, they're getting used. They're, they're getting used to fill up numbers, um, and they, they're bowling, and like you said, sometimes people aren't even watching, you know, um, mm. the coach might be doing a crossword in the, in the bar and just look on the stats and, Oh, you got a four for what well I mate. 
but they don't actually know how well you've bowled or if you set anyone up or all this sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it got to the point there several times in my career as a captain in second team cricket where I have pulled a couple of guys aside and said, mate, the best thing you can do right now is go to the coach and say, look, am I getting a contract? Because if I'm not, then I'm going to go try somewhere else. Mm. And nine times out of 10, it either made the coach go, shit, yeah, we yeah. need to do something about this. And <laughs> they end up getting a contract within a week or two. Or they go, in all honesty, mate, you're not. Apologies. Thanks for your time. And in that kid, at least they know I'm not going to waste, continue wasting my time. I'm going to go trial elsewhere because there might be an opening at a different club and it might, yeah. you know, they, they've got opportunities elsewhere. And I, that was one thing that I just hated. I hated like, mm. and they brought it in. They've changed all the rules now this last year. I don't know if you're aware of it, but in second team cricket now, um, I think all trialists have to get, they get paid. Yeah. Um, and and there's, there's something in there now, if they played a consecutive amount of games, you either need to offer them a contract or or can't use them mm. because it was a ridiculous amount. I think last year, North Hans, or sorry, the year before, North Hans used over 200 tri- different trialists wow. in the season. Wow. That's like just, just to fill numbers. Like. Just to fill numbers. I think that's poor, that's poor isn't it? Like, mm. Do you think it's a problem with the disparity between finances within, between counties? Because I'm from Nottingham. I grew up playing for Notts. And Notts have always had a squad of probably between 24 and 30 players. Mm. Like massive squads. So you yeah. know, you'd, you'd sit as a bowler, you were sitting there going, well, they've got nine seamers, 10 seamers. Yeah. Like, they, they don't need one. Like, they're not, they're, they're not going to sign me. And then you'd go to another county, which you knew, uh, well, you, you, you've mentioned North Ants, I trialed at North Ants. Yeah. Like, uh, and I was stood there going, these have got no money. I know these have got no money. And they've already got six seamers. Yeah. So I, they, I, they can't afford to, to give me, even if they're only paying me 14 grand a year, whatever it is, they can't afford to do that. So all they're going to do is just keep turning the wheel on the, the trialists that come in to fulfill second team fixtures. Absolutely. And that's and why then, I think it's so important. You either like to press it, to press the club as a young trialist, if you, hmm. if you've turned up um, and you've been invited back for a couple of weeks and you've taken a couple of forfeits and you're doing well, or you've scored a hundred and you're doing well as well, you know, the, the clubs are going to know whether there's something about you or not. Mm. You know, the, the, the guys that I've seen come through that have been signed, you know, within an instant, you know, if this guy comes in and bowls a rocket spell um, and you're like, yeah, this guy's got something about him. He fits in the changing room. He, he, he's got a good work ethic, all this sort of stuff. Or some guy comes and, scores a blinding hundred and, and whacks it all over the park and you think, yeah, this guy can play. Mm-hmm. We should sign him. And then that's the kind of time where you'd be like, right, just give it give it to us as it is, you know, black and white. Are you going to sign me? Are you not? Because if mm-hmm. you're not, I'm going to go elsewhere. And um, the new things that come in play, that have been brought into place will help with all that. But it's just, it's important because it's, some guys are taking time off work as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had we had a couple of guys in the second team that were just so relentlessly desperate to be a professional cricketer um, that would sort of be there at training, be there at, at games and turn down hours at work and stuff like that and then come the end of the year and they've only made 10 grand because they've they've lost out on 20 grand trying to pursue cricket. And it's great that the passion's there and everything, but sometimes if it's not going to happen the best thing a coach could do or the best thing someone could do is just say, look, 
you know, go and ask the right questions or give them the answers. So it is so difficult. It is extremely difficult environment. And like I said, when you've got players at different levels of their career as well, coming back down, so contracted players, they're all at different points. And you've got to, you could have an established pro who's been dropped because of form that's coming back. And like, there's some things that they just need to work on and that's all they're working on. And the coaches know that and that's fine. So they might seem like they're, they're out of it or whatever, but they're just focusing on getting through a few overs or, or getting, trying to get 30 and working on something. Or you've got like, you know, someone that's maybe just a white ball specialist that's playing some three day cricket in the twos that doesn't give a shit. Um, because it, it happens that you've got guys that are only going to be playing white ball cricket and they just they have to play second team cricket because the coaches say that you have to play second team cricket and keep playing so it, you've got you've got to manage all of that and you've got to it's so, such it's a tough, weird yeah. environment mm, definitely talking of tough environments 2020 was a bit weird wasn't it um, well first of all Yes. You got the pleasure of meeting me at Cape Town Cricket Club when, when we toured yeah, over there. And that was a, that was a surreal the, environment. The, 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 the already. pleasure in inverted yeah. commas. That's what yeah. made it such a tough year as well. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Finally, someone gives Eugene some stick rather than me and Robert. Absolutely. absolutely. But I suppose going back to a little bit more serious, I mean, it, it was the year that you retired from cricket and, you know, your decision leading up to that and, how you actually went about it, I think, is very admirable. Do you want to talk us through how you your thought process and what you did there? Yeah, I mean, like so, my my whole time, even at, even at Kent, was a bit of a roller coaster, and I was sort of um, in and out. I got the opportunity to play quite a lot of cricket when Sam was away. Um, so for a few seasons, I was always kind of guaranteed the first half of the season um, and made it my own. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, felt like I was. Um, quite an integral part of that team and um, adding a lot of value that you know might not be stats based but there was a lot of value behind the scenes that, I, that my kind of cricket would would bring and, and that's what I did and then to get sort of dropped it was quite difficult but I was you know in and out in and out and towards the back of that and the, the 2019 season um, I remember you know that was the year that uh, we got to the the, um, the finals for the for the one days, and I came in at the semi-finals um, last minute. Was hadn't played the last couple of games, but Sam wasn't able to play, um, and ended up getting getting seventy odd against Worcester, um, and then got dropped for the final because um, Sam was available. So it was a it was a really really tough thing. I, like um, I sat on the on the balcony. I think I was only batting about seven, and uh, Steve-O... Steve-O went off when we were fielding and he was off for too long that he couldn't bat um, by a certain time. And we lost a couple of early poles and I got tapped on the shoulder saying, get your pads on. Um, ended up going in a, at four. Um, scored some runs. That felt good. And then, yeah, got the got dropped for the final at Lords. Um, so that was that's a bit like, real. That's, that's quite tough to process. Um, finally, again, like, you know, feeling like I'd... I'd scored some runs and, and making making progress and stuff. So when when I wasn't really featuring in the back end of that 2019 season, um, I was really fortunate that I was I was getting married out in Cape Town. Um, I had all that to sort of distract me from everything. So, you know, when I wasn't playing, I, I was figuring out plans and, and um, you know, planning for better things there. And, um, and that was brilliant. That really helped me. So, that, like, if anything, that that sort of saved me to keep my mental state really high, and and I had something else to think about, and I I was distracted, and um, 
went to went to Cape Town, got married in 2019, spent the sort of uh, time out there playing club cricket, and then uh, when we met you guys at some point, uh, <laughs> and then the, the the sort of period before Christmas and just after Christmas was probably my hardest time. Um, I remember sort of playing playing cricket, uh, a club game, and I hadn't been training um, just because I, you know, just had my friends over for my wedding. Um, you know, it was a bit of a, a piss up, and I was just loving life at that time. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to train, but I'll turn up and play club cricket. And I kept sort of, I had a run of like no scores because I was um, wasn't really there. Um, and I remember um, I, I pulled one to mid wicket, smoked it, got caught. For not for not much, and I walked off, and I just I got on the phone to the missus, and I was like, "What what am I doing? Like seriously, <laughs> like what what am I doing? Like I'm staring down the barrel because at this point I'd kind of already been told that um, they're going a different route for the 2020 season. So you know I'm already I've got one more year on my my contract, and I've been told that I'm not going to feature for them um, from Kent. So it, it was very difficult, and I remember sitting there in. I was on the phone in tears to the missus, like, what, what am I doing? Like, why why am I doing this? Um, like, it doesn't feel fun right now anymore. Like, mm. what am I going to, I'm going to, I'm literally going to spend a whole year playing second team cricket next year, hating life and thinking, like, well, this is shit. Um, and I, I spoke to um, one, a, an old pro uh, in South Africa that was playing for us at the time, um, a guy called William Huntam. And he's very good friends with um, JP Dominic, and he asked JP like at the back of end of his career, like what what allowed him to kind of keep going, and like what was his what what was his why in in essence. So when he wasn't playing and he getting dropped, like why was he still turning up and why was he doing all this sort of stuff? And he just turned around and said, well, um, it's my opportunity to give back to the game. That's how I'm looking at it. It's my opportunity to give back to the game, um, and and that gets me up and that makes me enjoy it and. It really flicked a switch for me, really, and and um, my wife just gave me quite a quite a hard talking to, and just said, "Look, you're in control of of your next year, right? You can either mope around and think this is rubbish and it will be rubbish, or you can actually get out of it whatever you want to get out of it, you know." Mm-hmm. So from then I was like, "Cool, it's it's catch twenty two. I need to go. I need to train because if I if I train, I'm going to play better and I'm going to enjoy a bit more." So I started training. Ended up having a good back end of the season, um, and I, I came back um, to the UK with like a bit of energy. I was like, "Cool, like, um, I'm going to go out on loan. I'm going to get a contract somewhere else. I'm going to prove everyone wrong, um, and I'm I'm just going to enjoy it. Like, I'm going to give back as much as I can." And then, uh, yeah, lockdown hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all these great intentions and. Um, and genuinely was hitting the ball really well, feeling good, like working hard. Um, and and I, I got back in to lockdown and had a bit of time where I always had it. I always I sort of really discovered um, F forty five as my next step, like uh, the functional training and, and the, the studio. I discovered it, but I didn't know that it was my next step. So we were training out with it. I liked it. A couple of people have mentioned that I'd be good at doing it, um, and it's just something I should look into. So. I'd always planned on coming back to the UK and in my time off going to speak to some studio owners and just be proactive with that for the eventuality of my career ending. Because in my mind at this time, I still had a, a five-year career potentially. You know, I wasn't thinking anything further. Um, and then, um, yeah, as we got into lockdown, I was like, cool, 
I need to do something with my time. So looked into it a bit more. And the more I looked into it, the more just sort of like became evident that this was me. Like this is this made me tick. I was really getting really excited about this, and I um, I started sort of working on it a bit more. And I was waking up doing this, and almost in in as honest as I can be, cricket felt like a bit of a chore at that time. And I was like, I'm not that excited about it. And I um, yeah. I could see I could envision my next ten, fifteen, twenty years cl- like clearer than cricket. <laughs> yeah. Um, again. Being told that this, my career is not going to be here at Kent, I couldn't envision past that because I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know where I might be. You know, I could be halfway up the country, and also I don't really want that. I've just I've just got married. Um, my friends are all kind of in London. Like you know, it's just not a nice thing to think about moving up to Durham or something for for, for the next five years. You know, mm. um, so that's the kind of where I was, and 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 the more I sort of. Um, yeah, went into it, the more I kind of asked myself these these tough questions where I was like, okay, well, I've got to reevaluate what I want with my life and where I want to be. And, and they were really, it was a tough time, right? but I had to be honest with myself. And um, what transpired from it was um, that I wasn't that happy, you know. Um, I'd, been, I'd been putting on such a brave face um, throughout my career of like picking myself up constantly um getting knocked down pick myself up getting knocked down and be like it's cool this is me this is my character like i'm not going to let down and i'm going to put on a brave face and and just get on with it because that was that's who i was or who i am um and in reality it was just chipping away chipping away chipping away over time um to the point where i just i was like i think i'm done i was like i think i'm done i kind of like i don't really have any more energy like well, I, I still believe at the time and believe that I was good enough to play first in cricket and I could go play first in cricket elsewhere, but I just didn't have the energy to to go and do that. And like you said at the beginning there, with being a keeper, there's one spot. Yeah. And yeah. Most, most counties have got a first team keeper, right? So the reality was that I was going to be a second team keeper at a county, and there was no first team cricket was what made me tick. That was what made me happy. That was where I got my buzz from, and I was like, okay, I'm just not sure. I've, you know, that now at this at that time, it was nearly uh, 17, 18 years of second team cricket, or 17 years of second team cricket. I was like, I think I'm I'm done. And um, we got back to our uh, once we sort of got through lockdown, um, preseason kicked in. I was still same, still kind of like going to see if I can get a um, trial somewhere else. And preseason game came along and. Um, I just didn't like. I just didn't feel there. I, well, my heart wasn't there anymore. I'd already now gone so far in another direction that I wasn't being true to myself, yeah. and I wasn't being fair to myself because then I wasn't. I also then wasn't committing hundred percent to to my F forty five and my new direction. So I, I had to make a decision because it, where I was going was was not where I was. And unless I made the decision, I wouldn't be able to commit fully. And, and um, ultimately, that's where the decision came. And um, it's 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 one of the best decisions I've made for myself personally. It's been a really difficult decision to make um, to retire from professional cricket um, and what has been a boyhood dream. But the timing was absolutely spot on for me. Um, 
and like I've, I've got like a new lease of life in in what I'm doing now, and I'm, I'm buzzing for it. That's uh, awesome to hear. To be fair, so life after cricket is F forty five, Jim. Yeah. How's that going? Obviously, you say you've been at it about a year now. Not a great year to start a new business. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's but it's um, it's good. It's we can been, laugh about it now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's been mad, and 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 honestly, throughout this whole process, um, you, I can understand when people are like, "You're mad. What are you doing? Like, why are you thinking of starting a a gym in the middle of a global pand- pandemic? Like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Who does that?" But um, I always I always have and always think that. Um, you you get rewards when you take risks and uh, this is a massive risk obviously um but it's a product that i genuinely believe in um it's a product that um i fell in love with my wife fell in love with when we were just on the other side of it um yeah. as a member and and uh, i love like the community aspect of of the whole um concept and and the more i've got into it and the more i realize like how important that is and especially now so especially a year into a global pandemic when we've been looking at people through Zoom like this and, and you haven't had an opportunity to have that social interaction that us as humans crave. You know, mm. our physical health um, is probably declined or there's been a real... Mine um, certainly has. <laughs> there's been a real um, adoption of, of some sort of physical activity. People have rediscovered going for a walk, going for a run and doing all these things outdoors. So you've got... A lot of people that have health and well-being in the forefront of their mind going out of this and then mental health has been a ridiculous um topic it's just been everyone everyone has struggled in some form um throughout this time and it's been so difficult and i and without that social interaction and without seeing people um it really has a damaging effect and i'm hoping that with everything that I'm doing and uh, the timing of it, I'll be positioned perfectly to be able to op- like offer that to so many people where they can come out of a, a pandemic, they can prioritize their, their physical health, their mental health, and then be part of something that's not just a, a big box gym where you walk in, do a session and you go out. No, you're like this, you're turning up, you're meeting people, you they're like-minded people, all on their own little fitness journey, but it's just, fun it's enjoyable it's exciting and and when i was thinking about what made me tick um with cricket was the the changing room vibe and the changing room aspect and being around everyone and actually loving that and you know going for a pint with them after a game or you know just stuff like that that's the stuff that i'll miss the most about cricket and i really i'm really confident and i feel great about knowing that i've found something to replace that within f5 and that and that's that's what's really exciting about it and um, it's been a hell of a journey, really. Has. It's it's a million miles away from chasing a little red ball around the field for a living. It has been. Um, As a keeper, you never had to do the chase in your lazy git. That's, the, that's <laughs> what the rest of us have to do. I did when I, when I fumbled it and there was a bye and I had to go look after it. That's why keepers are always rapid over the first 15 yards. Whenever they've missed it, they're no. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a massive learning curve, but it's been really exciting. And um, I'm, I'm in the process now. We've, we've agreed our lease. Um, so I've got my site. Uh, my construction starts on Monday, um, which is very exciting. And I'm in the process of building my team um, at Old Street, um, which is also something that's um, quite, well, 
paramount and very important because the right people in the right place is, is what's going to drive us forward. And um, it's just, it's just, everything's kind of moving. Everything's exciting. It's, it's just, yeah, it's great. Cool. For those for those people that don't know, just mm-hmm. run through what F forty five is and how it's different to a normal gym and a bit of a chance to plug yourself. Obviously you mentioned it's on Old Street, but when you're yeah. opening all that kind of stuff, bit of a chance to leave yourself a, a plug. Yeah, no worries. So um F forty five, the F stands for functional. So it's all functional training. Um it's forty five minutes, it's in, it's out, it's short, it's sharp. Um music's pumping, it's it's a great workout. Like the Guys, it's it's a it's a franchise. It started in in Australia. Um, I was saying to you off off air that actually one of the founders is is named Adam Gilchrist, which is quite um, quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard of that. I'm sure yeah, I've heard of him. And he, and he's uh, quite good around 2000. And exactly, he's also Australian as well, which is yeah. which is interesting. Um, anyway, so so it's it's in more than 50 different countries. You know, they've got about 2,000 studios worldwide and growing, and and it's. Um, it's a brilliant concept like you know you, they've they're very very tech based so all the exercises are on the screen um they're adapting and changing them every every day so you'll never ever do the same workout each time you you go in um which is pretty cool and they 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 fuse it from from a scientific point of view as well so they make sure that they're targeting targeting the right areas you've got a mix of um, resistance based training and then cardio based training and sort of like based in a circuit and, and hit style. Um, and it's just, it's just heaps of fun. Like you, you just, you could be training, you know, as a, as a newbie on the start of your fitness journey next to a world-class athlete and you'd be doing the same stuff, you know, it's all just tailored to you, but it, you, you're just meeting the right people. You don't have yeah, to yeah. go into a beginner's class and, um, be sort of isolated there or, you know, it's just, it's, it's a load of fun and, and, there's so many uh, intangibles that come with it that it's just great. You know, you meet new people, um, and that's what it's all about. You know, there's a time and a place to go into a gym to to put your headphones on and be like, I don't want to talk to anyone. But but we all kind of, you know, we crave yeah. seeing people and um, especially at the minute with the way the world is when you've not spoken exactly, to anyone else. <laughs> exactly, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're 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 in the process now. We uh, we're hoping that um, we're going to start some outdoor boot camps um, on the twelfth of April um, around around Old Street, and then we're going to um, push towards opening um, early June, uh, end of May, early June, and hopefully in 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 around the time that all the restrictions get lifted. So Great. it's uh Oh, yeah, it's an exciting time. Um, I know everyone's super keen to to get into a gym and to get back to some normality, and uh, and hopefully we'll be positioned right um, right for that. Brilliant. Well, I, I I mean I, I I wouldn't say that the three of us are super keen to get into gym. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're we're past gyms at our at our ages. Yeah, the um, only gym I go to on a regular basis is the barman at the local boozer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the Griffin <laughs> up the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, so, uh, Rousey, it sounds fantastic. Um, so, Rousey will uh, let us know. So, we'll obviously help him promote that, obviously, once things Thanks. start to, to happen around uh, that. And so, we'll promote that. So, everybody who's in that kind of London region, either for work, you can go before work, after work. Um, or if you live closer by, then you can. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll pump all that information out as and when that becomes awesome. more relevant. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel a bit guilty doing this now, but um, considering the twelve months you've had. But if you can afford to open a gym, you can afford to potentially give a tenant to the Lord's Taverners. So we're now going to ask you five questions. Um, Eugene introduced you to us, so Eugene can match you tonight. So 
Um, five questions, two pounds each if you get them wrong. Okay. Uh, and Eugene has to match whatever you put, and it all obviously goes to the Lord's Tavern, the wonderful charity oh, that yeah. is. Oh, yeah. um, so, uh, Robbo, do you want questions or answers? Uh, I will go answers. Brilliant. Because when, when I go questions, I do it both. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right, okay. I'm shocking. So, I'll, I'll go questions. You get a bit of leeway. Um, okay. you, you'll probably get more than some guests because you've been a belter and the guests that we don't like so much to get a really tight leeway yeah. so we might give you a bit more <laughs> um, question one how many boundaries did you hit in your first class career oh my god Four, combined fours and sixes um, I would never said they were easy no 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 <laughs> it's for charity uh, remember see I don't want to say too many because then it makes me think that I've done better than I have <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, how many boundaries? Do I have? Okay, um, one hundred and two. Mm. One hundred and seventy-two. So oh, you're, wow. actually, you're actually better than you thought you were. Okay. <laughs> I do find this interesting though. Whenever we ask pros questions like this, oh, yeah. they're all like, "Do I act like I'm David Warner or Jason Roy, or do I act like I can't hit it off the square and yeah. seem like a better bloke?" <laughs> I just, I just can't add up. I can't add up. How many fours and sixes go into my career? <laughs> Uh, right, so that's two quid each. Uh, yeah. Number two, how many catches did you take across all formats? Ooh, um, 143. Oh, I think not, oh, close, yeah. not close enough. Is that not, not close, close enough? enough? No chance. I think. Can we go pound? Tw- it's 29 away. <laughs> oh, it's 10 away. No, it's not. He said 100. 100- 143. 143. Yeah, 10's no good. Not, no <laughs> it's a pound. How many was it? How many was it? 153. Not of such, not such a small. No, I'll go, I'll go two pound. That's fine. It's yeah. not right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good cause, mate. It's a... yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you what, when I'm the one giving, they just, my my celebs, as we like to call you, um, I forget it. Hang on. That's, that's Matthew yeah, Hollard, how, how many deliveries he bowled. He was eight what? out. <laughs> Got it wrong. One million. That's more yeah. of a reflection yeah. on who was matching him, I think, than Hoggy. Yeah. Um, and Hoggy's made no, more than enough in his career to pay his tenant for the tavern. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you made your first class debut against Kent. Who was the top scorer when you were fielding? And... Uh, Secondary question, but you don't have to get this right. Who was the um, and who was the top scorer when you were batting? Top scorer when I was fielding, Rob Key. Do you know how many? No. Hundred. Yeah, you're correct with uh, okay. one eighty. Brett Nashi also got hundred and twenty six. Who top scored for Hampshire? Um, I'm going to go with Michael Carberry. Yes. Correct. That's 154. How flat was it and where was it at? <laughs> it, was, it was at Canterbury. I can uh, remember it clearly. Um, I remember I got uh, I got selected in place of, um, not in place because they weren't available, but I was replaced for Neil McKenzie, like for like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so I got replaced. And um, I remember, so first innings, um, I didn't get many. Um, I think I got 13 or 14 or something like that. Nicked off Steve-O. Steve-O nicked me off, which happened. So it's fine. Um, which I soon uh, realised that it's, you know, you're just another another one of Steve-O's victims. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I remember, so we were playing for the draw and uh, I was coming in at sort of six or seven and I think it was Dawson and Vince that were blocking out for the draw at the time. And I got my pads on and I'm sitting there. Sorry if we've got enough time for this, but it's yeah. quite yeah, funny. Yeah. 
and um and and Rob Key is down there down on the pitch. I'm sitting on the balcony waiting. Um, shitting myself, right? Like I'm I'm nervous. Uh, I'm debut, whatever. And he shouts from the middle of the wicket, "Come on, lads! Come on, lads! We won away. We won away. We got Rouse in at six. He's fucking shit." Like, <laughs> cheers, Keezy. Like, just look, just like staring up at me at the balcony. I'm thinking, is this normal? Like, I, I've, never, I've never experienced anything like that. It's been heckled. Like, I'm next in. I'm getting heckled by Rob Key, an international cricketer. Just, um, and it was, it was mad. And the lads were like, "Nah, Dory, mate. They did that to Batesy last year. He's done it to, he's done it to a load of them." But oh my god, I was, I was. <laughs> they didn't lose another wicket. Shook hands uh, and like survived because I was. I reckon I would have just like not even got my bat up and just kicked one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got your bat walking there. Brilliant. I've right, yeah. given you the two quid off for the story alone, to be honest. <laughs> Getting absolutely pied by Sausage Face from fucking 70 yards away. Um, question four. In your last T20 game, Somerset scored 197. How many wickets did you or Kent at the time win by? Um... Seven? Ooh, oh, close. Oh, Six. Close. No, you've gone the wrong way. Eight. Oh, is it eight? Wow. Eight, yeah. yeah. So, Dan Beldrummond I mean, got 83. Dennis, <laughs> 75. Sam, 27. And Darren, 12. Have you just put Darren Stevens on there with 12 for the... Because that was... Oh, it's because they're four batters. I see what you've done four there. Four batters. <laughs> I, just, I just thought you'd gone. Yeah, we love Darren Stevens. Get him on with 12. <laughs> Send him in to finish the game. It's like, it's like when Brody gets non for for knots and all of a sudden you'll see on like the local television they'll put oh, all no. the bowlers on. All <laughs> the bowlers are on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, question five. You played against Huge. Oh, I didn't see this question. In 2020, do you remember your bowling figures from the day? I mean, this must be one of your career highlights, surely. <laughs> Wicket keeper tuned. I'm going to guess at Dobbly Seema. No, mate. No, I've got some Swannies in. in I've got to say, look at yeah, real. I was gonna... same, same sort of action I've got there. And, um <laughs> My club cr- club cricket career is purely based on my office. So you, if you ever want me at Twickenham, guarantee me 10, 10 overs. I tell you what, if you want a ball spin, Twickenham. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. I mean, um, it'll take you four hours to get there and back again. But... <laughs> you won't have to worry about it. You bowl eight overs, seven for six. As long as I get my ten, mate, I'll, I'll do it. I'll walk in. <laughs> um, what are my figures, eh? Yep. Uh, I did I get my full quota in? I did. Oh no, I did. I did bowl some seamers against you guys as well. You did. I did. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say four overs, one for thirty. Oh, close. One. Well, no, we'll give you that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. One for twenty-one. Oh. You've, you've 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 undersold yourself again. So really, if you're being I'm, I'm, repeatedly I'm, modest on all answers. We'll we'll so, give you that one. I'm not <laughs> really hopeful. Best wicket of his career. Who, who's the what? Who was the one? Was it you, huge? <laughs> Was. Yeah! <laughs> How was it out, Huge? Say again. How did I get you out? Uh, caught mid on. Oh, no. That's, that's definitely got, a top edge trying off. to plant him with over deep mid wicket, isn't it? Yeah, I, I gave it on Imran Tia around the pitch as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and, then, and then firmly put me in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. I've got the footage off. of that somewhere. We should pull it out. Well, that's, maybe. R- Rousey, that's now two of us out of the three that have got a huge unit firmly in our pocket. So it's just, just Robbo to go. So. Yeah. Might let um, him out. Season, I'm going to have to play against the slogging at 11 every game this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
uh, talking of which, I, I want to speak to Rousey about that in a second off air. Uh, but uh, no, Rousey, thank you so much for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute joy yes, to, to chat to you. Awesome. Um, the story, everything from your childhood and, and you know, the move to, to get you to the UK, I think, was a phenomenal story. And then to be so open about your ups and downs of your career, uh, it's been wonderful. So thank you. Um, good luck with F45. If Thanks. I'm ever in Old Street, I'll make sure I wave at you as I walk by. <laughs> <laughs> I'll knock on the door and come in for a cup of coffee, but I won't be, I'll have forgotten my kit. The good thing, the good thing is it, it, it's um, in the basement below Weatherspoons, so I'll meet Ideal. you. Yeah, Ideal. We'll, have a, we'll have a meeting upstairs. We'll pop in on the day before Twickenham, before we go to the, the rugby again. Just like yeah, that. love that. <laughs> uh, no, but mate, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have yeah. you with us. And, uh, Thanks, yeah, go, go well. Uh, this year with everything with F45 mate and we look forward to seeing you again soon I appreciate it cheers guys cheers Ross thanks Chelsea cheers looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky with so many options to choose from how do you make the right choice when you want quality value and service there really is only one place to start for more than a decade Woodstock Cricket been producing award-winning high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Woodstock Cricket.